Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bazaar. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find me on Instagram at Justin Bazaro and this podcast at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's. There's a cell phone on at Justin the cell, uh, Food Entrepreneur's. Sorry, I don't know why I said cell entrepreneur's. Uh, you can use that to text questions. If you're a food entrepreneur and you want a chance to be on the podcast, you can text or call that number as well. That's how we're doing it. Instagram, cell phone. I know everyone wants email and people ask for emails. I'm happy to send them, but it's just, that's the way the world's communicating now. And email is almost a dinosaur at this point. Personally, like even work, we communicate through Instagram and text message mostly. Like it's just short conversations, rapid fire. I don't have time to wait for you to answer my email. So um, with that being said, I have with us today, Jerry Cass of Bandwagon Sandwich Company from Arvada, Cal- Colorado. Uh, how are you doing today? Wow, I'm having a speech impediment. So, um, <laughs> doing Jerry, great. How, how are you, you doing, doing today? Justin? Good, good. Everyone always says I have a speech impediment anyway and jokes around with me. It's a joking thing. Anyone who's out there that has one, I'm sorry. I do understand what that's like. But I have like an accent. I was born in Pennsylvania, moved when I was four to Maryland. So I have like this weird Maryland A. And then I then I bounced all over the world and picked up weird other parts of <laughs> accents. So... <laughs> Who knows what's going on? But how are you doing today, Jerry? Tell us about yourself. I'm, and tell I'm us- doing good. Awesome. Yeah. We had a great conversation before, and everyone can tell my adrenaline's a little pumped. Um, when I go <laughs> off course, I pump my adrenaline. They focus me really quickly and get me back on course so I don't fumble over my words for the entire podcast. Yes. So Awesome. I'm going to slow down. Jerry, <laughs> how did you become a food entrepreneur? Um why bandwagon sandwich company okay um i have uh i have a weird background in food in business in kind of everything um so i started uh uh, if i go way back i started as a musician um when i was like 19 was the first time i was in a band um like a little local punk rock band uh and then it started to take off a little bit to the point where we started touring uh not paid tours and not um uh, not funded not on a record label or anything you're just trying we to get were... your name out there and your voice heard yes at this point. yes and we paying were... it forward as they would say yes and it was a ton of fun. I wouldn't take it back for anything in the world. We were driving, you know, in a van with a trailer full of equipment and basically just drinking beer and partying and going from one town to the next. And, uh, yeah, just kind of living that, that lifestyle. And that was a ton of fun. Uh, but it didn't pay the bills. So, you know, at one point we were on tour almost half the year and none of us, you know, were holding down jobs in Denver because we were, you know, we would put together a tour in a month and then we would just kind of go and do it. And none of us really cared too much about work. So work was like, we would work these shitty food jobs just to pay the bills, just to, you know, kind of get back on the road and everything. And so that was, you know, that's how I got started in food. Uh, but I didn't, 
Can I pause I you for a second, Jerry? Yeah, sure. I love sure. this. I just want to like, okay, so entrepreneurial ingenuity, finding solutions no matter what. We've talked about this in a few, few podcasts, but your dream is to be a musician and be on the road. So the entrepreneurial ingenuity and even though it doesn't look this way right now, but it's the start of it, just so I anchor this for everyone in the audience. It's the ability that I need to find a solution to make money or get enough money so we can go back on the road. And food is yeah. that also. Food, they're gig jobs, okay? I don't, yes, we want to keep people long term, but they're also gig jobs and people move from job to job. And we need to realize as food entrepreneurs that that's part of it and that. I'm going to anchor this to this point is that we don't, we can impact and influence people even if they're only there for a month or two. And we often look at, oh my gosh, I spent all this training on this person and this human and they left and rah, 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 and I considered them a team member. And rah, rah, rah. Right. But it's really this. How much impact did you have in that two months? You're looking at this wrong. You're thinking that they took something from you. Well, they did because you didn't give them anything. You don't sure, want them to take sure. anything with you from you. Give them value when they leave, and then you know that they didn't take anything from you. You gave them something. Exactly. You know, even if it's yeah. not just money, because that is important. Giving money and having people and giving jobs, all that stuff's important. We just don't value it the same way anymore. But we also have the importance of making impact and influence. Where if you're going on the road, and and I know you, and I have two months with you, and I do this a lot as a human, I'm like. How much impact can I have on you? What can I do? Can I shoot you out of a cannon and help you start to unlock your own potential? I don't know. But anyway, right. I, yeah. So the um, let's start there. So you're like entrepreneurial ingenuity, the mother of all invention. Is, you know, if you can't find the solution, create it yourself. And yeah. so let's talk about this. So you're doing the food gigs to go on the Rona tour. I love this because I feel like it's following your passion and you've got to organize tours based on a budget, which must be a nightmare. It is, especially, you know, when, uh, you're touring with, there were five of us in the band. If we brought somebody to run the merch table, that's six people, you know, so to feed six people and to put gas in a van to get, you know, anywhere is hard uh and then you know sometimes you get to uh the city and you get to the venue and they're like what are you talking about no you don't have a show that was who did you talk to who you know what i mean like there's there's setbacks and you know uh the the thing i really learned from that that i still hold uh was just you know adapt adjust and overcome it's, it's, uh, you, you are handed a certain hand, but you, you can play it however you want, you know what I mean? And, and you can take from it whatever you want. It's not always cut and dry as a loss or a win or a, a failure or a success. Like I've learned from so many bad experiences and there's so many, I remember way more bad experiences than I do good experiences, you know? And it's, it's hard to tell somebody at the time when something bad happens that, that it's, that they can learn from it or that they can uh, grow from there. Uh, but it, it's absolutely more of a teacher. I feel like uh, failing and falling on your face uh, then, then being successful. And then, you know, like the wins are awesome 
the winds are great and and uh learning what to do is awesome uh but it's, it's equally important to learn what not to do you know and to uh to fall on your face and be like okay how do i never do that again how do i you know it, because it's really easy especially as an entrepreneur to try and fail and be like, that's not for me. I'm going to go back to working at wherever because it's a guaranteed paycheck. It's not a gamble. It's not a risk. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm going to exist as a business tomorrow, you know? But, uh, I, I think it's probably pretty common for, you know, uh, a first time entrepreneur to fail. And I, and I feel like that's a good thing. You know, I, I certainly didn't, uh, this isn't the first business I've started. It probably won't be the last, but it's, you know, you learn and you move on. And that's, that's the biggest thing to me is, is, uh, every, everything is an experience. Everything, uh, everything can can be a learning experience you know if you look at it right yeah i agree with you um and i think even when we're kids we don't understand it and we get like we it's worth like giving the kids experience like how much lemonade do you need to sell at the lemonade stand to actually make this worthwhile and how do you actually get people that aren't a day two that aren't nice anymore that are actually wanting to buy the lemonade not just let's do the lemonade stand people buy it today because they're being nice how do i get them to continually buy the lemonade and then not just be in a powder form like there's a lot of lessons beyond just the lemonade stand for example and the failures and trials and tribulations that go through with that um just to grounded to a childhood example because i think that it's important that that happened in our childhood years also as well as our adult years uh so let's let's go from there like where do you go from here like what happens like why sandwiches so um it's weird how the company came to be yeah i'm just like how did this all these pieces connect Yes. Okay. So, um, and wait, actually one more thing, Jerry, I'm sorry. You said something like blank adjust and overcome. What was that? Adapt, adjust and overcome. Because I just want to anchor it for the audience. Adapt, adjust and overcome. Okay. And then we can go into the story, but I just wanted to anchor that as well. Certainly. And I'll definitely come back to that. That's a, that's a big, uh, uh, a, a big motivator for me and a big thing that I just keep reminding myself, you know? Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so, um, so anyway, I'm in, uh, the touring band. We, uh, are kind of spinning our wheels, not, you know, like musically we're putting out music like crazy. And, um, I should also mention that this band was like, ridiculously over the top um almost like like shock rock punk rock you know like ridiculously offensive lyrics ridiculously offensive um album art and so it was we made it fun for us but it was like a very hard product to sell especially 
you know, to a national audience who had never heard of us, you uh, know, this to, is one of those things where if you make it about you, you only have one customer. It's you, right? Yes. Yes. And, and so, and, and then the idea was never to, you know, be on MTV, but we were just having fun. We were just, you know, kind of dumb kids doing what we wanted to do. Uh, but that kind of taught me a lesson of like, why are you doing this? What, what are you doing this for? What, what are you doing in general? You know, but anyway, so I, we kind of keep doing that, uh, same thing for like maybe six years. Um, I had given up on working, you know, just kind of shit jobs one to the next. And I started selling cocaine. I quit all of my jobs. I played music all the time and I sold cocaine for a living. That was just the way I lived. Uh, And then this was probably the dumbest decision I've ever made. And I probably wouldn't even talk about it if it weren't for the statute of limitations. But we, uh, I started selling cocaine on tour. So you know, we would be playing shows and people want to party afterwards. And then that was like how we were funding the tours for uh, like two and a half, almost three years. So then uh, we're back in Denver. <laughs> we're playing a show. That's at, some ingenuity, though, I got to say. I mean, that you know what? Tours, and it's I, like they, I can't I'm like, I'm still like there is a demand. Uh, there is clients and they're willing to pay yeah. for it. And it's the ingenuity that got you along. I we can talk about morals and ethics later, but I'm, I'm still on the drug front. I'm still much more of a Netherlands type person anyway. Uh, you right. But anyway, sure. Go on. So, um, yeah. So it was kind of like you had that built in audience. And again, this is like punk rock. We're, we're definitely edgy and we're, we're the people who are coming to our shows are, absolutely cokeheads so it was like yeah you You're know it was kind market. of shooting fish in a barrel there <laughs> yeah. for a long time yeah so then um we're in denver and we're playing a show at the gothic and um i had a lot of people that were you know going to buy from me that night so i had a lot of cocaine on me and I had it all individually bagged. I had, you know, kind of everybody cut out and ready to go. Uh, we play our set. We're unloading in the parking lot. My guitarist sparks up a joint, passes it to me. Weed is legal at the time, but very, uh, it was medicinal only. And, you know, you had to have a card. You had to be doing it in your own house, whatever. Uh, but it's, fucking denver this was 2010 you know so it was like we're not thinking anything of that and we just got off stage so we're like dude we just fucking kicked ass and it was packed crowd and you know big big room and so we're stoked and so i'm hitting this joint and just kind of bullshitting and then a cop just grabs me by the shoulder and he's like you know that's illegal and everything and whatever you know uh Anyway, so he pats me down, 17 individual bags, just over two ounces of cocaine on me that they found. 
so I was fucked. Um, luckily, I got a good lawyer. I got, you know, got um, out of, got myself out of jail pretty quick. And um, I wound up taking a felony and I had a ton of probation. I did very little jail time, but I put myself in a really shitty predicament because I had not worked at all for the past three years. Yeah. I had a little over $15,000 in the bank, but I have no explanation for where it came from. It was all drug money. It was all illegal. And I didn't, I was like panicking. I didn't know what to do. You know, I was still like, uh, going through the trial process and, um, you know, so anyway, I take the felony, I take the probation, um, and the money, the drug money, I just bought the Oriental theater, like kind of without thinking I had, um, a friend who became a business partner and, uh, we got a couple other business partners together and we just bought the theater. So, um, <laughs> I just said that such a twist where I thought you were going to go. I was like, Oh, we're going into the food, but we bought an Oriental. <laughs> no, it, it gets weirder. Yeah. 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 Go so, on. so bought the Oriental theater. Um, it was really, really run down. We, um, we failed almost immediately, but we stayed, we toughed it out for a year. Um, just repairing what we could and booking the biggest bands we could get in there. But at the time, nobody really wanted to be there because it was like had a reputation for being run down and so many people had owned it and failed. And, you know, it was like, it's a huge room and really good sound, but you know, the, the contacts I had in the punk rock world were not the kind of people that could fill a theater that size and, and pay those types of bills, you know? So it, yeah. it didn't go well. We failed, kind of fell on my ass, you know? And so now um, I had to fucking sell drugs again. I had to sell cocaine because nobody would hire me I have this failed theater um, and that was like the only thing I could do. And now I'm also paying court fines for selling drugs by selling drugs. You know, I was really, really in a tight spot. Um, and then out of nowhere, a buddy of mine calls me up that used to be a supplier of mine. And he's like, Hey dude, I have a job opportunity for you if you want to do it. And it was running a hot dog cart on the 16th street mall. It was, and that was a weird jump. Yeah. Talk about humility, right? Yes. Because like I wanted to be a fucking rock star. Uh, and then like, you know, selling cocaine is very, the work itself is kind of shitty and you have to deal with shitty people, but it's on the surface, at least glamorous. I mean, you always have a lot of cash. You always, you buy whatever you want. You never think about what you're spending. 
But at the same time, I also, you know, in three years of that being my, uh, my source of income, I never bought a car. I never bought a house. I had literally nothing to show for it except for the Oriental theater, which fucking failed. So what do I really have to lose? And I'm like, well, you know, maybe this thing will, maybe this job opportunity will pay the bills for now, you know, and I can see, uh, whatever's going to happen. I'm still playing in the band. I'm still, um, you know, active in the music scene, but this will, this will pay the bills for now. Right. So I do it. I take the job and I really liked it. It turned out that I really did like interacting with strangers. Uh, and that's something that I learned touring that I just never really put together that, you know, is like, Oh, I love entertaining a crowd of people. Well, and it's part of the glamour of being a drug dealer, right? As everyone comes to yes. you and gets a product from you and talks to you and, and all that and, also, right? And you walk in the bar and everybody, Jerry, you know, yeah, exactly. it, was, it was, you're the big hero. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was like, that was the first time that I was like, oh shit, this is because I felt like I was legal drug dealing. Because, you know, when I was running the hot dog cart, it was an already successful business. Um, I'm super busy, but I'm also, I'm working alone. I'm standing on the corner. I'm slanging my product. Um, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for everything. Uh, but it was like a lot of the values that I learned from selling drugs and a lot of the values that I learned from uh, going on tour, like, you know, you only fucking leave your backpack in Detroit once like before you go, Oh shit, dude. Like I got to make sure I have everything and get everything into this van or it doesn't exist anymore tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it's like, I've only forgot the soundboard and microphones one time all at the same time, <laughs> but I have never traveled for a podcast or anywhere ever again without it. Because one, I didn't know if I'd meet someone and need it, but two, to your point, like the freaking trouble it causes you, you don't do it again, right? Yes, yeah. And that should absolutely. be true for everything in life, by the way, but we don't, that's not always true. Right. So go on. Yeah. So you're sort of, you're running this hot dog cart, and I like this because one is, people don't realize this, it's one of the reasons in New York City everyone likes the cart so much is, Every and people are like, oh, all the tourists go there. No, it's not true. It's actually the people in the office buildings come down. They get hot dogs. They get their lunch, and they know them. They become like local celebrities. Like, oh, you know, you know, blah 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 down there. And this is an important part oh, of yeah. being in the food is something that happens in food that doesn't happen anywhere else. And even if you talk about Instagram, there's fame on there. It's insta fame, and it can instantly go away. But being in the food business and being a valuable food person, it's longevity and it's legacy. Um, Absolutely. And influence and impact. So let's talk about the hot dog stand and what steps steps are next. Yeah. So cart, uh, I ran, I'm sorry, cart. Yeah, yeah, no. I uh, <clears throat> I worked for that company for 10 years. Um, and it was a growing company as well. Um, it, so we hit a point in, during COVID that like okay so during my entire 10 years there the owner of the company and i 
would occasionally butt heads about one thing or another. Um, and that's, you know, kind of to be expected. Uh, at one point I kind of felt like the, the hot dog cart side, like I was running his company for him, which I was okay with. But once we started to, during COVID, we really started to butt heads, um, because he was of the mindset, you know, look, this is, this is me. This is what I do. This is my product. You can take it or leave it. Uh, I'm not going to change what I'm doing for the world around me. Uh, you know, it's this, this thing is going to, to come and go, we're going to go back to business as usual, yeah. you know? Yeah. There's a lot. And of that, I was like, I was like, no, cause now at this point I'm married, I have two kids, I have a mortgage. Yeah, I'm like, yes. And so at the time I had the cart on uh, a area campus and school just stopped one day, you know what I mean? So then all of a sudden, like one day I go from, you know, financial security and, and everything to, I'm just on unemployment suddenly, you know, and it was scary as fuck. And I mean, COVID was scary for everybody, but food service was different. Food service was like, you know, restaurants are closing left and right. There's, you know, nobody has any sort of surety on what, the next year or the following year is going to be like, and so, you know, it was just a scary time to be in food service. Um, but for years I had been kind of talking about opening a food truck and, you know, doing something different and I wanted to build my own. I wanted it to be, you know, different than everybody else. Uh, but, it was all just kind of like bar talk. Like I could do this better, you know, with the, uh, with the other hot dog guys. And, uh, during COVID, uh, we had to refinance our house. We had to, because we, you know, couldn't pay our bills basically. And so we refinance the house. They give us the option to cash out 70,000 in equity and I talked with my wife. We uh, kind of put a plan together and we just said, fuck it. We both quit our jobs. Um, at that point, by that point, she was working for the hot dog cart company too. And she was booking events. So she got really good at what she was doing. And then COVID happened and there was no work for her and no work for me. And, you know, we're, we're out on our ass. So, well, and, but you have two very essential skill sets to build a successful company in the food truck world, right? Like you have right. two essential skills, right? The booking and then the ability to produce the food and build the relationships with the client. Sure. So go yeah. on. So, I mean, and you know, for me, it was like, we just kind of sat back and looked at it and I'm like, okay, well this successful hot dog cart company is starting to be starting to lose success, starting to go the wrong direction. Um, I'm doing great. I had never 
uh, you know, every year I was getting better at what I did um, and learning from it and making more money, you know, like, and to be working for somebody else and to, you know, make a hundred thousand dollars a year was fucking awesome. Like I couldn't believe it, but you know, I'm watching that number that was going up every year. I made a little more than the last year, a little more than the last year. And now I'm watching it go down and go down. And then COVID was like, you know, the nail in the coffin. So, but we're looking at it and I'm like, okay, I'm married to an amazing booking agent. I've got $70,000 from, uh, in equity to cash out. And I, you know, have the food service and the, the whole driving aspect down on my end. Like I just kind of felt like we would be stupid not to start our own company and not to I'm in agreement with you. It would have been a wasted right. opportunity in life. Yeah. And it was, you know, it's always scary to start something new of and, course. and to, to go from, you know, a paycheck to a fucking gamble. Well, you and know? maybe you had insurance and health benefits and all that stuff. Sure. So you're taking and all a total that goes away. Yeah. All of a sudden it's like, yeah. And bye. it's scary. Yeah. But at the there. same time, you know, I'm, I was looking at it like, <clears throat> the company I'm working for might not exist next year. Bingo. Like, why, what do I have to lose? And, you know, so we both quit on good terms. Uh, and I figured, you know, if we try and fail, we're right back where we were, you know, where we have nothing to lose. We, we can always go back to our jobs. We can always go back to this. So fuck it. Let's just do it. You know? And so we did. Um, so we both quit our jobs, but we had, we didn't have the food truck. We had the 70,000. Um, and I had this big vision. I wanted to do an open air concept, uh, where basically like a convertible food truck with, no roof, no walls. You could watch your food being made. Um, and so like I start toying around with the idea and I start running it by some friends of mine and everybody's got a reason it wouldn't work. You yeah, know, everybody. And that's when I knew I was onto something. When people start yeah. naysaying <laughs> yeah. and start picking Me apart too. a good idea. Me too. I'm like, you know you're onto some, and so I'm like, dude. If they're spending the time to pick it apart, they're like trying to find reasons it won't work, which means deep down inside they know it'll work, and they're trying to find reasons it doesn't. Yes. So I made a friend at the health department, and um, she was uh, I she was an inspector that I knew uh, running the hot dog cart. She had inspected me several times, and we struck up a friendship. Um, and so I called her and I'm like, Hey, I want to start a company and I want to do an open air concept, but not, not a cart. I want to do a food truck with no roof and no walls. Can I do that and get legally licensed? And she's like, well, nobody has in Colorado. Um, that doesn't mean you couldn't do it, but it would be hard. And when she said that, I was really intrigued. I'm like, Holy shit. Like, I could be the first, I could be the first, you know, I could be 
I could be something completely new, completely different that, that, uh, had not been done before. And then I got really excited about it. Um, so she starts looking into it and, and gives me some rules and regulations, but you know, basically she says, yes, you can do it. You would, you would have to fit in these certain parameters, but you can do it. And so I'm like, awesome. So I go buy a flatbed trailer and I go buy a grill and a couple other things. And I'm like, okay, we're going to do this, you know? And, uh, I call my buddy who is, uh, a commercial kitchen installer and I'm like dude can you build this food truck for me and he's like no dude I don't have time to do that but I do have a shop and I could teach you how to weld so if you want to start coming in before I go to work at like five o'clock in the morning and learning how to weld I will help you build this thing yourself and so I did it all. What a um, fucking opportunity. Sorry, I have to yeah, say that. What a fucking absolutely. opportunity. That's the one I want. I don't want you to do it for me. I want you to teach me how to fucking do it. And it may exactly. look like shit at first, but by the time I'm done with that food truck, that fucking weld's going to be awesome. Yeah. You know, the so last welds are so going to be way better did. than the first ones. Okay, like, let's talk about this a little bit. Um, we're going to do a part two for sure, Jerry. So I just want to let you know because... I we we did talk a lot at the beginning, but I'm I'm definitely going to have you back because I think we have so much more sure. to talk about, and we're just at the beginning. So talk about what it was like and what the experience was like of building this food truck and learning to weld at the same time. Like you have this idea in your head, no one else is going to do it for you, so you have to do it yourself. Right. Yes. So um, talk about this. So that that portion of it was scary. That was last year that we were doing that last winter. Um, pretty much every day I was just going into the shop, um, five o'clock in the morning, my buddy, Casey Goodrich, he's the, uh, um, the guy that helped me through all this. Um, but yeah, he would, uh, I would meet him at his shop at 5am and he would be, you know, like the very first welding lesson was, was super simple. He's like, okay, well you click this to the metal, and then, you know, you make sure this knob is at this and you make sure your gas is on and make sure you're wearing a mask. And then, you know, you just kind of push the puddle along the scene and uh, the fire extinguisher is over there. If anything catches on fire, I got to go. I'll see you later. And that was my first welding lesson, you know. <laughs> How would your first day go at welding? Oh, it was it was stressful and scary, yeah. you know, but he is a lot like me in that like he just had to fucking do it to learn how to do it he yeah me too i grew up on a farm it was like i need to put my hands on it i don't i understand the way you do it i need to learn how i'll I'll learn the way you do it also but i'm gonna do it my own way and i'm gonna figure out different ways to do this and figure out if your way is actually the best way and shame on me maybe i don't just trust it but i'm like i've learned way better ways of doing things in life and Sure. And I want to anchor this real quick is a lot of second, third generation food entrepreneurs, particularly immigrant families that we've literally later generations like myself have compounded entrepreneurism, but it's really prevalent in food is that this type of thing is what we're talking about. It's that ability to like, I've learned something from someone and I trust them, 
but I know I can do it better. So I can not only run the restaurant and make it a Sixers restaurant, but I can like spruce up the showtime and actually produce good food and experiment with new food and, and actually make it more than I'm just coming there to eat with my family. And so that's what right. you're talking about here. It's that, that ability to always want to learn and that ability, like if I'm going to do it, I'll learn it, but I'm going to end up doing it the way I want to do it and learning it the way I want to do it because I want to own this. And that's the weird part. It's not that I'm taking anything away from someone or I'm saying you have a bad idea. It's not that. I need to own it. It needs to be mine for me to own it, to want to do it. I can't do your hobby your way and then be passionate about it. Sorry. Right, because once you have pride in it, exactly, you'll never. You, it's part of your life. It's it's your baby. It's it never goes away. You know, it's it's uh, something that you did. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, from here, like, let's take about five minutes and just. Like, what does this food truck look like? How do you build it? I mean, there's got to be plumbing and electric. It's not only welding sure. at this point, and it's like, like, yeah. how do you figure all of this out? Well, I should preface it to say, you know, before any of this, like when I was um, playing in bands and and just kind of working shit jobs and gig jobs, I I sat down and counted one day. I worked 113 jobs in my life before doing this. Oh <laughs> yeah, God. I know it's crazy. Like at one year, I was at a H and R Block with thirteen W twos, and they're like, "There's only twelve months in the year. How did you work thirteen jobs?" And I'm like, "Well, most of them suck. So it's stick around for a week, and you're like, this is awful." Yeah, there is a lot of that, and I recommend don't stay in something that you don't like. It's never going to be fun. You're just wasting your time and their time. Right, absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, I had um, worked for plumbers before. I had worked for electricians before. So I was like kind of a jack of all trades, but at the very lowest level of all of those jobs, you know? Uh, So... I kind of knew a little bit, but I knew I also have a lot of contacts of, of people who are really good at those things. And you know, like my, my buddy is a plumber and he's like, well, you know, you know, the most of it, if you can get the gist of it and I'll come in the last day and just make sure that you attach everything right. You know? So, uh, I had a lot of help from a lot of people in like little individual parts of it. But, uh, and on my, in, or, uh, on our bandwagon sandwich co, uh, Instagram, like the very first pictures, like if you scroll all the way down the page, the very first pictures are of us building the truck. And it was like, it was so cool because nobody had done it, but it was so scary because nobody had done it. It was like, you know, at any moment, the health department could have been like, no, you can't do this. And then, you know, like we build it. And, and I was, I had my friend at, at Denver health department and I'm talking to her all the time. I'm like, you know, do I need to have a three base sink? If I do, can I be my own commissary? Uh, just little questions like that. Like, uh, you know, if I'm, since I'm open air, do I have to have a net? Do I have to have, you know, all these different things. 
Um, and so she totally guided me. So getting through Denver was no problem when it was done, but I neglected to think about every other County that I would be in and all of their different rules and regulations. And then, you know, like, like when I first took, uh, our finished product, uh, to the Jefferson County inspection, they're like, no, we're not going to pass this thing at all. You have to have walls and a ceiling and a hood and an ansel system. And so it was, you know, and I got past all of that, but that's part of doing something different, doing something new is Wait, that, do you have a hood over your barbecue outside? I just want someone to ask that question. Yeah. Like, like you have one in your house, but it, when it's outside, we don't put a hood over it. And we, and if there's a fire, fire suppression system, it's not near there. And, and so and I don't have a roof. Like, where would I put a hood if I needed one? You know, like <laughs> this is one of my. I'm loving this because I just am like, where did we go wrong as humans? Where we taught humans so much to stick to staying in the box, we totally ignored the obvious. But I, the one thing I do yes. wonder about is like, how do you keep from like, like I guess the roof thing is the only thing is that like you got to make sure nothing happens to the food and it's covered and stuff like that. I guess I mean that's the only thing I can sure. think of where you're exposed, but that seems like a right. minor problem to me. It's like a picnic. Yeah, I and I basically do everything like I've got a sandwich table, I've got a flat top grill, and I've got a steamer. But everything has their own individual lids, um, and everything's kind of separated out. So I basically just. Um, assemble sandwiches on the the flat top itself. Um, but yeah, so it it was one of those things, you know, in the building process that was like, there were things that I didn't want to do. Like initially coming from the hot dog world or the hot dog cart world. Okay, so in Colorado, if you are a cart, if you're standing on the ground with a cart in front of you, you are under completely different rules than if you were elevated in a food truck, right? Which is kind of stupid when you think about it, you know, because uh, uh, it really doesn't make much difference to the consumer, you know, whether you're standing on the ground or, or standing elevated, but it changes all the rules. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it is. <laughs> so I, uh, I was under the impression going into it that I could just use coolers and put ice packs in them and then have my grill. And that, cause that's the way the hot dog cart works. Like as long as you have a working hand sink, um, and as long, you know, they obviously, when you get a, a random health inspection, they temp your coolers and they, they check your your meat temps and all everything like that. But if you are a food truck, you have to have a refrigerator. And so they're calling me a food truck because I'm not standing on the ground, no matter what I'm a food truck. So I have to have a refrigerator. So fuck this changes everything because now I need power. Um, I didn't want a noisy gas generator. Uh, so I was like, doing research, just trying to figure out how I could avoid that. Um, and then that wound up, uh, 
putting me down a rabbit hole, I wound up getting a uh, basically a giant battery and um, a solar power system. And so that's how I run my food truck. It's, it's uh, like my grill and my steamer are gas, obviously, but everything else is solar powered. So, um, you know, if I'm, if I'm working a night event, I'm basically battery powered. Um, and then during the day, my pickup truck that pulls the, the trailer has these two massive solar panels mounted on a ladder rack and that, um, how that regenerates the battery all day. So, um, so yeah, you know, I went from like basically starting my idea at a hot dog cart to like, now I've got this open air solar powered, you know, kind of convertible weird, sandwich chariot bandwagon yes (laughs) so and it was all you know during the building process it was like one problem at a time how do we solve this one problem cool okay well you know that problem leads to another problem or begs another question so how do we solve that problem and that was kind of the way i addressed the whole build it wasn't like this is the dream this is what it's going to look like it was like well let's fucking start building and see what happens you know yeah i love this and i think it's a perfect place to like just leave everyone so we can anchor everyone into a part two because we haven't even talked about how you built your business but the solar powered thing and the battery powered thing i think and it's why i like i like your concept so much it's so different and it's looking at the food truck so sustainably or regeneratively I will say. Yes. Yes. And I want to talk about that in the next part two. Will you just tell everyone where they can find you on social media and where they can look you up online? Yes, absolutely. We, uh, our website is bandwagon sandwich co.com kind of wordy. I know, uh, you can also find us on Instagram bandwagon underscore sandwich underscore co. Uh, we're also on Facebook and all of that, uh, all that fun stuff. Um, and then if you're in the Denver area, we're at uh, Four Noses Brewing in Broomfield every Monday night. Um, we do every other uh, Tuesday at uh, New Terrain in Golden um, and every other Wednesday at Colorado Tap House in Arvada. Very cool. So yeah, definitely. let's set up a part two, Jerry. I'll send you out a schedule Absolutely. after this. And um, I really appreciate your story and your honesty and your vulnerability. And I think there's a lot of hope out there and there's a lot of transformation and things that can happen. Like when life changes us, it's total transformation. Like when we go, sure. when we're all of a sudden life is like, oh, you have this set of skills. Now let's go take them in the way that I want you to use them or you know, my, your plan starts to align with God's plan. Uh, and you're really like, Oh shit, this is really what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, yes. it's one of those things. So I want to really talk about that in the next episode for the audience. Like, I think it's important that you realize what happens in life. It's not like all of a sudden, Justin knows he's going to be an entrepreneur. He's born that way. And he's an entrepreneur. Like I was born one. I knew it. And I had the desire 
but it also took all the work and trials and tribulations and stacking up skills. I also was a plumber and I learned that skill. Okay, yeah. And my yeah. years, um, just because sure. my father really instilled in me learning as much as possible from as many people as possible because you need them for your home or you need them for your business. And so there was a lot of that and I didn't understand it quite at the time. I'm like, what the hell is this guy talking about? I do all these weird jobs. But it's like, it was true. Like I did a lot of them growing up just like out of weirdly or when I travel or whatever, I just pick up stuff or volunteer, you know, even putting away chairs and stuff at like church events because you get to talk to some pretty cool old people when you do service. Like weirdly, it just clicked on me. I wanted to learn and absorb from old people as much as possible. I'm like, absorb. But like these are the things that happen here and it's the same thing you did with the welding. It's the ability to learn and absorb and realize you don't know anything and, and be a human sponge and life's about that. So... Thank you, everyone, for listening in. In the audience, like you want to take on that mindset as an entrepreneur. You want to be a sponge of information. So thank you for that. And I really think we anchored everyone there. And and life's about transformation and trajectory change and going on in a path that where you find success and money's the the trophy. It's not the thing you're chasing. And so lastly, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcast you can find us on instagram at just the food entrepreneurs you can text us at 610-709-3339 i believe i don't know for sure but i believe that's right um and anyone who wants to be on the podcast reach out to us um and please start giving us five star reviews any reviews you can get it's not I don't, you don't need to do it. Just listening to the podcast is great and sharing it. That's what we're looking for. But it helps get the message out there. It helps other people know that we're not just some other consultant or some 20-some-year-old who has no food experience talking about food. Like we're real entrepreneurs. I have many, many years of experience over 40 being an entrepreneur, even though I'm only 43. Like I started at three years old mowing lawns. My parents taught me. But really, in food, I have over 25 years of experience, like just directly myself. And that doesn't include any jobs I had. That's me being food entrepreneur. And so um, I just want everyone to understand that. And so helping us, getting on the podcast, even those that are listening, those of you that are guests that have been on the podcast, it's important that you give feedback because it helps validate what we're doing here and helps validate you guys as entrepreneurs and, and the message that you're giving. So... I will say that out loud so the audience knows it's about give back. It's about supporting each other. It's about giving each other credit. It's about building each other's character up and growing each other along the way. And that's what I'm trying to do here uh, with these entrepreneurs. Um, So thank you again. And um, Jerry, you are an outstanding human. And I look forward to part two. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks again for uh, squeezing me in. And uh, I'm looking forward to it as well. Awesome. And we're out.